Hello and welcome to the podcast. Acknowledge them, remember them. My name is Paula. This podcast is a place for parents to remember their babies and to talk openly and safely about them. Each episode I will speak with a parent about their baby who has gone too soon through miscarriage, stillbirth, neonatal death, termination for medical reasons or other reasons. Before I start, I need to say a word of thanks to Anchor FM for hosting this podcast. Anchor FM is a free mobile app that allows you to record, edit and publish your podcast all from your phone and all for free. They have a wealth of knowledge and support so that you can get the best from your podcast. They will publish and promote your podcast on the usual streaming services, including Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker Audio, Apple Podcasts, and a whole host of others, all for free and all from your phone. This week I speak with Emma, who is Bobby's mum. Bobby was born with a diaphragmatic hernia. He has left a lasting impression on all the lives of those he has touched. Hi Emma, uh, welcome to the podcast. Hi Paula, thanks for having me. You're very welcome, thank you for coming on and sharing Bobby's story with us. No problem. Um, I always say to people that Bobby is, um, while all babies are close to my heart, Bobby is very special to me because he would be almost a birthday buddy with Tig. Yes. I know. Same. Same goes for Ty. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I suppose whenever you're ready, if you would like to share Bobby's story with us, I would love to hear all about the little man. Well, it's it's hard to believe it's coming up to five years since he was born, yeah. in on the 4th of June. <gasps> and uh, to make the story, I suppose, clear, is, uh, if we just go back to the start, so we, we said about having children back in 2010 and... 11, sorry. And... I, you know, got pregnant very fast and, you know, unfortunately ended in miscarriage. And I really was so taken aback that nobody in my family had gone through miscarriage and we were really heartbroken. So we, um, me being me, I went off and I had to find a reason, I had to kind of have an idea of what went wrong and I had some blood tests and found out, yes, I did have an autoimmune issue. So I went on and um, went on a certain amount of medication hold on to my pregnancy and Lily was born so that was a natural pregnancy back in 2012 so off we went and had a fantastic first 18 months with her and mm. uh, we did have a couple of complications with her when she was born but she had small surgery when she was two she had a congenital issue which is a small birth defect yeah. which is actually relevant to the story um, but I thought for the first while after the first year I didn't really want to have another child just yet and then after about 18 months, we decided we'd, we'd love to have another, to have a sibling for Lily. Yeah. And actually this time, didn't get pregnant very quickly and ended up going and having a couple of little tests and to realise I had a blocked fallopian tube. Mm. So went on then to get pregnant very quickly and this pregnancy ended at 11 weeks in miscarriage and obviously we were devastated. We just didn't think this could happen a second time, mm-hmm. a second time around. So, um, we were um, under the supervision of somebody who specialised in fertility. So we went on and tried again naturally and we had another pregnancy and 
at my 11-week scan. Um, the, and I'd have a number, again, number of um, uh, scans. And the heartbeat was very healthy. And 11 weeks, the heartbeat was no longer there. So that was um, the third miscarriage. And again, at this point, you know, we'd gotten through heartbeats this time on, on both the miscarriages after Lily. So we were really, really devastated at that mm. point. So we decided to, you know, to just go for more expert opinions and we decided then to do IVF. Mm. We thought, you know, through consultation with a number of people that, you know, this could reduce our chances of a, another miscarriage. So we went actually abroad to, to Prague and worked with a doctor here, a satellite doctor here, and everything went pretty smoothly. Um, we got pregnant. We did um, genetic testing. So we really thought we did everything to uh, to re reduce the risk of yeah. any further loss. But they're really at this point taking an awful lot out of us. And, you know, when you are pregnant and when you, you, know, you lose, you go back to the start again and you're trying to find your energy again and mm. your your resilience to go through it. So anyway, we were, everything went very well with his pregnancy, our 12-week scan, or we actually started being scanned at seven weeks, eight weeks, nine weeks, we'd scan every single week. And I remember at 12 weeks, my lovely consultant in the Coombe said to me, you know, you know, I was still quite nervous. And she mm -hmm. said, you know, you really, there is only 1% chance now of, the, of you not taking this baby home after my 12-week scan. So I really did start to, um, to relax into it a bit. Yeah. And, um, I remember telling Lily at Christmas we were 12 weeks and uh, she was four and a half and we told her there was a baby in the way and she was so excited and we had a little video and and then we went on to all our scans every two weeks after that. Then mm -hmm. at our 19-week scan, our consultant thought, yeah, you're having a girl, so we named her Sadie. Mm -hmm. And then we went, I remember at this time in my life, everything was going really well career-wise. I had taken on, I was just about to take on my dream role. I was in PayPal at the time, a really great organization. And I was taking on my dream role to head up the coaching um, program in PayPal. And I just qualified, I remember, on the 27th of February mm -hmm. as a life and executive coach, which was really my dream job. And I actually remember driving to my 21, it was actually 21 weeks scan. I remember talking to my really, really good friend, Ashling Durrell, who I'd trained with in my coaching course. I remember saying to her, God, life, I mean, it just feels so perfect. I, I, I'm driving into the scan now. I said to her, I mean, life couldn't be, you know, yeah. perfect. Right. I, I remember that feeling of going, oh, my God, I have a wonderful daughter. I'm, I'm 21 weeks pregnant. I've been through a lot with dad. We've had three losses as well as, you know, Lily. And I remember getting this panicked feeling for a second going, is this too good to be true? Yeah. And um, so I said goodbye to her, met Des, went inside, and um, we went to have our, our you know, a fetal anomaly scan. And I remember um, sitting there and, you know, her taking a bit of time. You know, it was obviously the heartbeat was fine, but she was mm. taking a lot of time around. I don't know, I don't know what part of his anatomy, but... Um, and then she said those dreaded words, um, I need to go and get another doctor. And I just knew then something was seriously wrong and I'll mm. never forget it. I, uh, you know, it, it's actually, it's a long time since I thought about that moment. <laughs> mm. No, because I think so, so much happens, you know, mm. following that. You just, you, you forget how the awful feeling of something awful is going to change now, you know. And... I remember the doctor coming back in and 
um, them telling us, look, we're not entirely sure we need to get you to come back tomorrow, but we think it could be two things. One was like a cyst in the lung and the other one was diaphragmatic hernia. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, being just two of us, we were just distraught and we knew that there was trouble with, the, with our pregnancy and then we were told as well that it was a boy, mm-hmm. so Zadie was no longer. <laughs> so, but in, in that moment, I mean, God, it didn't even matter. It just, I, I, I just, we were so worried. So we were, we did, obviously didn't sleep a wink that night. Um, and I remember before we went home, our obstetrician said to us, "Look, I really hope it's the mass, the cyst in the lungs, mm. because that is much better than a diaphragmatic hernia." Mm. And I, I'll explain in a minute what that mm. was. So the next day we we came back and, um. We had a scan with the same person again, and she confirmed it was diaphragmatic hernia, which basically means that it's a congenital issue, another birth defect, would you believe, um, but a more serious one this time. And basically it meant that when uh, Bobby was developing, at around nine weeks, uh, your, your diaphragm uh, forms, and his Basically, there was a, a hole in the diaphragm. So what happens when the baby is that small, the organs move in up through mm-hmm. that hole, chest cavity, and they block the lungs. So it's the lungs that are impacted. And they really do not know at that stage. But they do not know until the baby's born if they live or die. Mm-hmm. So we were given a 50-50% chance of survival. Yeah. And I just remember my, after us, that being confirmed, um, you know, we were told it was left-sided, which is always a bit better in terms of outcome. Um, but our, my obstetrician just told me that you're going to have to dig deep, very deep, you know, whatever the outcome here is. So um, we went off home in a absolute just uh, days, and we decided at that point, you know, we would get a second opinion. I think when I was growing up, I was always, my mum was a nurse and she always encouraged, you know, to always to have a second opinion and to get another opinion, get another advice. So we actually went to another private clinic and had a scan the next day and we're actually told worse news that it was the right side. Um, the right side of diaphragmatic hernias have poor outcomes mm-hmm. because the liver is on that side. So mm-hmm. if the liver um, the liver is a heavier organ, so if that is, if that's going to push against the lungs, it's going to be worse in terms of damage or lack of growth. So, um, so then I guess we we went home to digest that, um, and how do you digest something like that though? <laughs> you know, I still. I think I still have post-traumatic stress dreams from that time because I then started you know, researching cases all around the world, joined all these private Facebook groups. I like to inform myself in situations like this. I like mm-hmm. to learn, I like to know. I want to, I want, I, I try, I remember being awake in the middle of the night talking to people around the world whose babies mm-hmm. had survived a right-sided arithmetic hernia and they were and thriving. And obviously there were stories where people had died. So in one minute you'd be reading, oh, my baby survived through the, through the odds, against the odds. And then you would hear, well, actually, my sorry, sorry to tell you that my baby died. So you one minute you'd be getting hope, but the next minute you'd be, you'd be, you'd be met with the worst outcome, you know? So anyway, we started, uh, I came across um, a 
fact that I joined the diaphragmatic, so the diaphragmatic hernia, it's it's around a very long time, but they still haven't been able to um, to get to the bottom of why it happens, what why congenitally, um, you know, what causes this? Is it genetic? They still don't know. Mm. So there's a lot of um, charitable organisations. There's one big one in the UK, and I came across them, and I realised that there's exploratory surgery being done in abroad. So. I had the most amazing obstetrician who was such an amazing advocate for myself and for Bobby. And I remember ringing her up one day and she, I was in Dublin and, um, she, oh, sorry, she, I, I, I phoned her to say, look, I, I want to look into, um, I want you to go and ask the head of the neonatology and ask him what would he do if this was his child. Because mm. I felt when you say that to somebody, it humanizes the whole situation. Mm. You're mm. just another tragic case and I remember her then saying really back the next day and asking me was I still in the country <laughs> because she knew that I she knew by now that I wasn't going to give up not saying anybody does give up but I was fairly relentless at this point mm. I would have moved mountains um so she said you're not now in Australia are you and I said no no I'm still here so she said well, look I've, I've listened to you I've got so there is actually an exploratory surgery and um, that's taking place in uh, it's like a trial um, in Belgium. So we moved. We packed up our house. We organized. I, I was going to have to move there for two months. We literally had a, a rota where Lily was going to be flying. At this point, she didn't know. We hadn't told her anything at this point because we just wanted to wait until we had more information. Mm. So, But she, she was going to be moving to Belgium with me. I was going to have somebody with me every week in case I went into early labor and Des had Literally, we had just, um, we changed our whole lives, really. Mm. We were planned, we were prepared to do this. So we got approved to go over there and have this surgery, which basically involves um, inserting a balloon um, into the, the baby's mouth through the, um, which is very, it's very complicated, through the, to the mother's stomach. And it pushes the balloon, then pushes um, down into the, the chest of the baby and it pushes the lungs down. So it allows them to develop yeah. the organs that were previously pushing yeah. up against it, if that makes sense. This is obviously why Bobby was still in utero, this surgery was yes, this is all in utero, yeah, exactly. Sorry, so it's just fascinating that they can do things like this. You know, you're kind of going, it's just... I know, you'd be surprised now yeah. because there's many um, in utero surgeries taking place in the world now. But, um, so, and, and we were told that this could, at this point, because he was a right side of diaphragmatic hernia we were told our chances were uh one in four that he would survive but by doing this surgery it would go to one and two again so we were back to 50 percent I mean, that's yeah. that's a bad worry you know um at this point i had you know i had battled to stay in work but i actually then had to go on on stress leave because the the pregnancy was just taking so many twists and turns mm. my, my company were absolutely amazingly supportive to me so anyway we moved with our suitcases myself and Des. um my our 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 um Lily's godfather was going to bring her over the following week and we landed over and I'll never forget we went to see the professor there and we went went to see the person who assisted him first and she said, Oh, I just um I just want to, she did a scan and she just said, Look, I just want to double check now with Professor Depressed, he's ready to go ahead. But what had happened was she'd done a scan and she'd seen that um poor Bobby had had a perforated bowel at this point and they were unable to do the surgery. So I just thought how they handled it was so 
so heartwarming. She knew that they were going to give us very bad news mm-hmm. and that we had to get some food into our stomach. So they told she told me to go and have some lunch and we came back and they sat down with us and said that this was the surgery unfortunately had to be cancelled, that, that it was too much of a risk to me uh, and because of his perforated bowel it was there was too many complications. So we had to turn around with our bags, with our we had booked an apartment for two months. We had to turn around and go home. Mm. And told that, you know, his chances now are five to ten percent, and that was I was twenty-seven weeks now at this point. Mm-hmm. So it was really just a horror show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, part of you wanted to believe. I mean, I, I had, I had a very good friend who was given a five percent chance of her son who's um, who has Down syndrome, and he survived. And he's ten. And you wanted to be that five percent, that ten yeah. percent, maybe that twenty percent, because you don't really know until the baby's born. Um, if they're going to make it or not. Yeah. So, so we just went home, and it was just. I mean, at one point we did. Um, I remember thinking, "Oh, I can't do this. I can't. I can't. I can't do another eleven weeks, not knowing like the, uh, you know, not knowing what was ahead, not mm-hmm. knowing if it was definitely." an awful outcome or was he going to make it and I, I did consider I remember ringing our, our consultant and we did talk about possibly um, a termination at that point mm. um, you know because at that point we just I just I couldn't see myself being able to dig that deep yeah now um we, we decided to continue because there was a chance and we come so far and look between the dicks and the reels we just and all the thought, all the thought we put into it, we decided then at that point, you know, we, we would we would go ahead and we would hope for the very best. Yeah. But um, it was just like it's like a time in my life that I felt like it never happened because it was so traumatic. Yeah. Um, you're living like 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 you're living on death row. You know, you don't know when it's going to happen, if it's going to happen. You know. I was, was going to ask. Sorry, and this is probably uh, it sounds like a harder question, but. Were you ever told that at one point he may pass away in the womb? Yeah, we at one point um, we were told that it's it's you know it's not the beyond beyond the bounds of possibility, mm. um, but that but then you see things would change every week and yeah. you know like and then um, I went I had a show then at about thirty one weeks. Um, and I was brought in and actually I had a, a procedure. I, I also developed complications called polyhydraminous because um, Bobby wasn't swallowing effectively. There was a lot of was water building up in his chest cavity. Yeah. So um, my, my uh, fetal specials at the time took me in and drained four litres of fluid mm. of three litres off my, my abdominal and a litre out of Bobby's cavity. Mm. Um, so you know, I was in hospital for a week then, and you know, then like you know, things were looking brighter again. Like his lung capacity was looking bigger than we thought. So it was a roller coaster. Like you, you know, one minute you would you say, okay, I think we need to we need to have that talk. We need mm-hmm. to consider planning his funeral. To well, actually, maybe there's more hope than we thought. And mm-hmm. and then we went, we met the head of neonatology, and we had to plan his birth whether. He, we wanted them to resuscitate him or not. So it it, it really was a, the most traumatic thing I've ever been through in my life, both of us. 
So then we had obviously that drainage procedure at 31 weeks. Um, they had all along been planning to um, induce Bobby at 38 weeks. Then at about 35 weeks, I woke up um, at half six in the morning. i never forget it. I just woke up and I felt my waters um, go. And now it wasn't a huge amount, but I, I mean, at this point, I was, I was in the horrors because I knew that like this could mean that he was coming and really we needed him to stay longer. Mm-hmm. So, I know I already had had steroid injections for his lungs to develop, but it was just, I remember driving in the car and I had a backpack obviously at this point, dropping Lily to my mother and father and not really knowing, you know, what was next. So we mm-hmm. went in and actually I wasn't in labor and, you know, I, I, it was, you know, I hadn't, my waters hadn't fully gone. So they told me at that point, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're, you could be, you could be four weeks before he comes or it could be tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So I remember, um, Des that night, my lovely friend, one of my best friends, Aoife had come up and was with Lily in the house. And I remember Des, I told Des to come at half 11, you know, um, and when he went home at half 11 on Friday the 3rd, um, I, ha- I was I, I was I had really bad because of all the all the, the swelling in my in my tummy. I had very bad rib pain. Like I, I was constantly on bed rest and very very sore ribs, like an excruciating pain actually. Um, and I remember the pain getting really bad. At about half twelve, my contractions started. Um, but no one would believe that I was in labour because I think at that point I was just so numb from the trauma of it all yeah. that I was screaming in labour. Like mm. I was just the pain felt like nothing. Basically, mm. because I was going through so much emotional trauma yeah. and emotional pain that uh, I didn't really feel the labour, but I knew I, I was counting the. But I remember the the midwife said, "No, you're you're not in labour. You're not you're not you're not screaming in pain." I was like, "No, I, I'm in labour. I've been in labour before. This is labour." Yeah. And this went on for a few hours. You know, she gave me a Panadol, and I took this. And I I remember. Because I knew when when he was born that we needed a multidisciplinary team, so mm. I knew that I was a neighbor. So eventually, at half four in the morning, when I hadn't rung Des. I just I just said, look, I'll just keep going on my own. They all need some sleep. I just didn't want to. I knew if I rang my mum, she wouldn't sleep for the night. I knew if I rang my sister, she'd be the same. I knew if I rang Des, he'd have had no sleep if I was in labour. So I decided to just tough it out myself for a little while. Mm. And then at half four, I said to the midwife, you need to ring the consultant now. And at this point, my lovely obstetrician, who had been the most amazing support to us as a family, she had planned her whole holidays to be around for his birth at around 37, 38 weeks. So at this point, she was on holidays. So we had to ring her step in, her person, um, her, her deputy. Yeah. And I basically said, you need to call her. Um, at this point, I know they still didn't believe I was in labor. <laughs> and she came in then at about five o'clock and she went white-faced because I was five, five, six centimeters. Um, so at that point, like I had to ring my, my mum, I rang my sister, I rang Dad. well, obviously I rang Dad first. And like they told me, yeah, you're, you're an hour away from delivery at this point. So I had to get everybody up. Um, they had to call the multidisciplinary team. We had to have like neonatologists. We had to people who were looking after like, you know, obviously my um, section. This was a now planned section because it was, um, we, his tummy was quite swollen. So we needed to, and I, I'm quite small. So we said, we had, they, they said they decided to do a section. So there was about 25 people in the room. Mm. Uh, and I, I remember um, 
going down to theatre and one a, a, a book um I'd read this book when I was qualifying as a coach um by Brené Brown and um called The Gift of Imperfection and I remember seeing this quote um called you know be the adult you'd want your children to be and as I was going down to theatre that that morning to have this baby who may not make it I just remember I just kept saying this over and over again I need to be the adult I'd want him to be I need I need to be the adult which was brave I need to be brave for him um and I remember this wonderful neonatologist who resuscitated him came to me and said we will do everything we can to save your your son mm-hmm. and I remember then Jess was holding my hand and you know the next minute I they put my epidural in and the next minute they, you know, behind the screen, he's lifted out and he cried. And I mean, I really wasn't expecting him to cry. Yeah. Um, and he was taken over then to a table just a little bit away from us, and they had to resuscitate him obviously then. Mm. Um, and they spent about, I think, so at, at one point, I mean, afterwards, my, you know, my obstetrician and the neonatologist would say to me, they didn't expect him at that point to get out of the out of the delivery room but he did he made it out of the delivery room mm. about 40 minutes um after he was born and he was brought straight to nicu um and at this point my mom and dad were here so my mother came to the delivery suite with me and my father went with dad then to, mm. to the nicu and you know they were um they were trying different methods of ventilators and resusc- he was resuscitated but he was on a ventilator yeah. um, and it's funny because I meant to say the day before when I was when I'd had my my waters break um, the lady who was going to be on the next day came into the room and the minute she came into the room she recognized me she was the lady who looked after Lily when she was born and when she had her little complication, which turns out to be so much milder than what happened to poor Bobby, mm. but it was the same lady who looked after Lily who ended looking up looking after Bobby, which was so special, yeah. so special. Um, so she, when the other man who had left the delivery room and he was he'd gone home off shift, she came on. So she was the person who was trying to save him for mm. seven hours. He was alive for seven hours and five minutes. Um, So they, the first time they brought me over to see him, I couldn't hold him because he was on a ventilator, but they brought me up beside him and mm. held his hand and I mean, he was just beautiful. Um, he was perfect. Yeah. Um, and then they'd bring me back and she'd say, she said to me, look, we're going to try something. But look, Emma, you know, it, it isn't looking great, um, but we are doing everything we can. And then they bring me back again, back to the delivery suite and they were trying to manage my pain. Yeah. And then they brought me back again, and um, she said, Pamela said to me, we're going to try one more, one more thing, one more ventilator. Um, and if that doesn't work, unfortunately, we're going to have to, we're going to have to let them go. So then she came back to me then and said, I'm so sorry, but his oxygen levels are too low, and his lungs are not functioning the way they need to be. Um, if we don't... I would rather give you some time with him now yeah. rather than continuing on and he will bleed out. Yeah. So, and it's so funny now when I think about it. So, 
my sister then arrived, she went down in Shannon and she arrived, um, and my other sister arrived unfortunately just after he passed away, but Jenny arrived and we were we had about an hour to, to two, I think an hour and a half to two, I actually don't know the exact time, but during all this we have 250 photographs of him mm. when he was alive, and I've only looked at them once, and I feel like it comes that a minute maybe now, I'm ready to look at some of them, more, more of them, yeah. but um, we, the chaplain, she baptised him, and I told my sister that she was going to be his godmother all along. I just thought, I just didn't want to tell you, right? I wanted it to be a surprise. And um, so I, I remember at the time, I just wanted the time. It was so horrendous yeah. that I couldn't even cherish the time. And, and that's just so awful. I, I just wanted this, hard, I just wanted it to be over. And it's, it, it, it was just, it was so heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. You knew that you were going to be turning off the machine and he was going to die soon. <laughs> and, I, I, the pain was just too hard, too yeah. much to. It's kind of like part of you is going, just get it over and done with. But the other part yeah. is like, I don't want it to ever end. No, you're, I, you're I totally I, caught between a rock and a hard place oh, with it. It was, it was so conflicting. Yeah. It's like I, the horror of it. Yeah. You know, my husband crying and everybody crying. It was just, it was horrendous. Like I, I don't know if I'll ever, ever go through something so awful. I, oh, I hope you never have to go through anything like that again. Oh. No. So, so yeah, then I remember um, they then, they, they took him off. They started to take him off the ventilators. They started to take, you know, the plasters off his face and um, they put put him in my arms. I asked Ed, did you want to? And he said, no, it's, I want, he needs to be in your arms. You carried him. Um, and, yeah, I think what was so harrowing for me was to see my husband was just, inconsolable like mm-hmm. it was just it was horrendous yeah I think as you say yeah it's not so much that men don't cry because obviously there is that stigma that yeah. you know, they say men aren't supposed to cry but when when you see your husband so devastated and you know that there's nothing you can do yeah and I remember looking over at my mother and it's funny because you know in those times you just want your family there and I looked I looked over at her and I, I just she just kept saying keep talking to him, keep looking at him. I was just so horrified that this was happening. Literally horrified. And I I couldn't be in the moment because the moment was so fucking awful, you know? It's denial or kind of escaping that you're like, I I don't want to be here, I'm here, but I don't don't want to be here. It was just, it was horrendous, horrendous. And it's funny because I haven't even thought about that moment for a long time. Um, Even in therapy, I found found it too difficult to talk about so you've you've brought the you've done some therapeutic work today, <laughs> but um it was yeah it was just and then we brought um I'd had a hat that my beautiful godmother had knit so I, I I got them to bring I had I got I think I got my sister to go get them and we had a blanket and I took the most beautiful photograph I mean I have a photograph of him you know dying in my arms and I still have it and um I actually was looking at it the other day um and. Uh, yeah, and then the horror show started. Then the real awful stuff. I mean, it was awful from that moment on. I think you know. I just feel like my our life changed. Yeah. You know, we it. it you know, it, I suppose from the first of March when we got the bad diagnosis, life changed. But this, that was kind of a roller coaster of awfulness, not knowing the outcome. Yeah. And I was, then, I suppose there was still kind of 
kind of that, you know, whether oh, it was, yeah, yeah, oh. not, not saying that you weren't being naive or anything, but it is that whole oh, thing no, where you're going, no, it's not going to happen. They're, they're yeah. wrong. <laughs> yeah. No, there was hope. And yeah. then it became, you know, yeah, we now know the outcome and now we have to go and live with this yeah. and grow to this. And, you know, we had a four and a half year old at home and we have to, t- I mean, it was just, yeah, it was terrible. And, um, so my family stayed around for a while and everybody held them and then the next, I mean, I don't think I slept at all. I mean, it's still all, it's all very, it's all very haze now, those few days. Um, we stayed, Bobby died on the Saturday and his funeral was on the Wednesday because I had a section. Yeah. So um, he was born at 7.37 and he died at 2.42. Um, and then we had to, then we had to start planning a funeral and I remember like, and the chaplain and Des, they became really close because I felt like Des felt like he could do something now. Like he, you know, I was carrying Bobby now. He could plan his service, but they'd come to me and say, what about this? What about yeah. this song? And I'm like, but it's so sad. And they're like, but there's no, there's no happy song. And I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't, couldn't choose the readings. I couldn't, I just, I couldn't do any of us. The poor Des ended up um, planning his, his cremation and his funeral in, um, in Harold's Cross and Mount, what's the name? I can't even think of it. Jerome, yes. Um, and we invited basically our closest friends. Um, and we had, we literally had 35 people at his funeral. Mm-hmm. Um, now, back before that, sorry, the day after he died, then a little, um, now I lay me down to sleep, they came to take photographs. Yeah. And that to me was just horrific as well. I mean, I actually, I was cranky. I was irritable. I didn't want this to be taking place because mm. I was so cross that this was happening. Mm. Um, and that was the morning that we had to tell Lily. So we went to the chapel in the coom and we brought her. She was four and a half. And now we had been, we had liaised before now with Laura Lynn and a child psychologist in there who's a very good friend of my sister who's also a clinical psychologist and we had gotten advice so we had given her a warning yeah. because I said like you cannot you can't take her grief away from her you cannot hide this from her I mean your first mm. your gut reaction is to hide it all from them don't tell them anything pretend it never happened but you know and you know the people at the time didn't necessarily agree with us but we got the best advice and I'm so mm. glad that we did and we, we, we listened to the, to the experts um, so we brought her, so we had warned her, look, that Bobby has some, a little problem with his lungs. He may not come home. So mm-hmm. we, this wasn't going to be an utter shock to her. Yeah. So we told her in the chapel, in the, in the coom, and um, she was just uh, devastated. Yeah. And we walked down, we asked her if she wanted to meet him, and we walked down the corridor of St. Gerard's, which is, upstairs kind of the ward where you don't really want to go unless mm-hmm. you're having like gynecological problems or your baby's stillborn or your baby died in, 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 um, mm-hmm. in ICU um, and she just screamed at the top of her voice like why did he have to die like why did my brother have to die I'll never forget it it was just and all the nurses were crying it was just it was awful mm-hmm. and then she came in and she came in to meet him and my family were in there and um you know, she went over and she 
she brought a little teddy that she had and she gave it to him to mind for a few days and mm. we've gotten another teddy as well, a different one, different one um, for her to put in with him and it was very, you know, she was almost really, really proud yeah. of him mm. um, and I remember her going over to my dad and saying, I want you to come over here, I want you to meet Bobby. Mm. But then after about 15 minutes, she'd had enough. Yeah. She, she, My sister then just took her off and bought her a load of teddies and evoca mm. <laughs> and cake and you name it but <laughs> she yeah she was yeah we went through a really tough time after that because she she was very sad yeah mm. well obviously a, a four and a half they're very big emotions for them to try and yeah comprehend um yeah and like you we've been very open and honest with our children in relation to they obviously know about tig and we've never kind of hidden it or anything um, but still, there's like there's the questions, and you're kind of going, you're too little to, to really be told the answers to these questions. So, yeah. and even if you did tell them anything, they still just they don't get it. Um. So, yeah, I can imagine God love her like trying yeah. to get her head around it, like. Yeah. And it's not that it's, I'm not saying it's not right. Obviously, it's no. It's, it's, I find, I, I just say to people, it's very sad that, you know, kind of our girls are now six and death to them is normal. Yeah. If that makes sense. Because yeah. they just talk about it as if it's, you know, talking about the weather, like, and you're kind of going, yeah. like, they shouldn't have to at such a young age. But then at the same time, yeah. they're kind of going, life, unfortunately, is like that sometimes. So. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, life happens. And, um, and yeah, you 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 have to, uh, you know, you can't sugarcoat things either. And you know, you have to help your children become resilient and and you know to deal with like life challenges because yeah. who knows what's around the corner when you've when you've had a tragedy tragedy like you, you know you're not a you're not um, immune to it mm-hmm. as I I always feel like it, it could happen to any of us. Yeah. And you don't think it's ever going to happen to you, but um, it, it it could happen. And I think it's important that kids, you know, are equipped are, and are taught to be equipped. And, and also, I remember the, the child psychologist in Florida saying, you cannot take her grief from her. You can't steal her grief. Mm. You can't rob her. You need to let her grieve, and you never need to let her to be part of this because she needs to feel that you're including her and you're not hiding things, and mm. you need to keep trust. Mm. And we really did that, and... You know, for a long time, she'd draw pictures. And even now, like, she always includes them in the pictures mm-hmm. she talks about. And she'd always tell people, I have a sibling. And but it's all very healthy. I mean, she definitely, um, she was, she learned to express her emotions very well during that time. So, you know, she, I remember over the years as they passed, when we talk about her, you know, her grief and how she was, she would say, I don't feel, I think of him now, um, and I smile, and I remember she said, I, I used to think of him, and I, I would have, she described like a pain mm-hmm. in her chest. You know, so she was describing grief. Yeah. Mm. I remember in the early days, you know, my godmother came to the business, and oh. Lily came over to see her, and then... Um, I remember she was quite maybe about five, five and a half. Then he said, "I've got four sisters. There's four girls in our house and two boys." And I remember for a split second, myself and my auntie, we just thought to ourselves, "Who's she talking about?" Mm. 
because we count the four girls being Lily and I and the two female cats. Yeah. And that's why we didn't have our dog. And we're like, uh, uh, for a split second, we forgot. Mm. <laughs> now, it's not that we forgot, because who, you never forget. But just in that moment, yeah. where I think, uh, she, she was like, but funny. You know? Um, so, she always includes them. Yeah. But, you know, I also was always very careful as well, you know, because, you know, I didn't want to, I was always very careful I didn't want to put my grief on her either, yeah. you know. It was, it, I always felt we, everything was led by her. You know, we didn't say, you know, we would, we, we would, we'd let her bring it up if she wants to talk about it. We wouldn't sit, sit down and go, okay, let's all talk about Bobby now today. Yeah. You know, we very much was led by her thoughts, her voice. Because um, I didn't want to, it was very careful, I didn't want her to be consumed by my grief. No. As mm. much as possible. Mm. But it's very difficult then because I think when you're a bereaved mom and you're a mother to young children, it's extremely difficult because you're, you do miss out a bit. I don't know if you know, if you feel this, but, you know, I felt a little bit robbed of the, of the years after with her because I wasn't carefree and yeah. I... You know, I, I remember my first, like, four years with her were just so carefree and wonderful and happy with no dark shadow of sadness hanging over you. And I felt that, I felt like I was robbed of some time with her as well. Yeah, yeah no, I I feel the exact same. And it's not, I'm not saying when I say innocence is gone, it's not so much that you're saying the innocence of yourself is gone. It's just that, you know, for many life. years, you don't think anything like this is ever going to happen. No. So like I feel even now like I'll be looking at things and like they're kind of you know hypothetical situations that again you'd say to yourself that's never going to happen but I can find myself going yeah but it might yeah you know with, with my look it might be I might just see that one yeah. that that happens to um, you know there's no point yeah. in saying what's the chances because we all no. know what the chances are no. so I kind of live yeah. in it not a doom and gloom yeah. but it's that sort of like I'm not rose-colored glasses anymore no, not it, takes, it takes that innocence of life away from you. Yeah. And, you know, like, I, I remember exactly what you said there. Like, I, you know, even about the vaccine, I, I was concerned. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm going ahead and having a vaccine, but I have some clotting issues, which is what caused some of my problems over the years having children. And I remember saying to someone, but from someone up, it's just a, it's a 0.8% chance. And I said, yeah, but I've been the 1% chance, 1% quite a number of times in my life now so mm. it, to me it's very possible mm. um and i'd say when you when you say it like that it's it, it is you've been that one yeah. percent number of times it's not beyond the bounds of possibility mm. you know um the innocence and, and of life the the belief of being in the 99 percent for the rest of your life in every scenario is god yeah mm. yeah exactly so, yeah. um so i feel a little bit in that sense, I felt robbed a little bit when my with my my time with her because when you're grieving, you're not you're not you're not your full happy mother that you were yeah. life before Bobby, you yeah. know. Um, so I, I often feel guilty about that, but look, unfortunately, that was the path I was the card I was dealt, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. Well, because I do like I think to myself, going, God, am I messing up my kids because? of my grief because like that I don't nothing I don't hide it from them they'll see mammy cry and they understand okay mammy's sad because they miss child um they don't see kind of the, the the rawness of it but you know there's days when I'm kind of going like I, I really don't want to do anything today I don't want to do anything fun um yeah because I just don't have it in me 
to do yeah. something fun. Like, you know, I, I'll I'll be your mother and I'll get up and I'll do my motherly jobs and chores. Yeah. But ideally, if it was a school day and you were in school, I'd probably be in bed for the day. That's how I'm yeah. feeling like. Um, and I think so for you, though. And for me, you know, we have no answer, unanswered questions. You know, we, well, we don't know what causes diaphragmatic hernia. I mean, I feel in my heart and heart and all the research I've done in my own health that my, my problems were thyroid related. But I, I, like, there's no, there's, you know, it's a different situation. We have some, you know, some answers and some. So we have been able, I feel we've, you know, it's taken five years, you know, where, we moved house at the end of last year. I feel after we turned a real corner after year four, and mm. um, as a couple, we we started to really laugh again. And like you know, we've we have we've had some good you know times. Holidays I found very difficult, but my last last year, last two years, holidays were were easier. You know, moving house has been huge for us. It's mm. been a real step forward, particularly for Lily because we've moved to an area where there's loads of kids and. I, you know, I, I don't, I, she's extremely happy and I feel like we've, we haven't, uh, we will never, we will never get over, but we've moved forward. Yeah. Um, you know, we've made big changes in our life and he has been, it's his legacy, absolutely. Yeah. I think I wouldn't be where I am only for, I lost Bobby. I, 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 don't, I wouldn't be leaving the life I am now. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I do feel that we're, we're, we're blessed in the sense that we don't have, you know what you have hanging over you so we're we've been able to look to the future yeah um and i feel i feel um so thankful to to bobby for that mm. Mm. So i feel like even i feel everything i do now is because of him <laughs> you know everything i do every every you know every our, our house move or yeah, I, I don't want to say the whole cliches of like oh you only live once and you know kind yeah. of carpe diem or whatever like um but it does tend to kind of, it shows you, while you would have appreciated how precious life is yeah. before all this, yeah. you you say it as like, oh yeah, life is precious, but now you know exactly how precious it is and exactly, exactly what's important in life and what's not important. Yeah. I think um, also as well, when you go through a really um, major loss, law loss, loss, like mm-hmm. a, a child loss or any loss, um, particularly of a younger person, um, the, 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 the deep grief that you go through it, the depression, the anxiety, the post-traumatic stress, all of the awfulness that comes with grief and complicated grief, which I definitely suffered for a while mm-hmm. with. I, I just, I really feel so grateful for the for my life now that I, I, uh, I have found peace. Yeah. And I, I, oh my, like. I don't take for granted my happy happiness now. So I, I, I feel I feel joy again. Um, I miss him every day, and like I wish I wish he was here so much. Um, however, I definitely appreciate my happy mental health more than you can even imagine now. It's it's you know I never take a happy day for granted or a happy period of life for granted again because I know what it's like to be in a dark horrifically yeah. awful place where you actually don't see any way out um so i feel so grateful every day now to be happy mm. even though i'm living alongside um grief because you do you live with it every day but mm. but i'm so grateful for the joy that i do feel now yeah there there was something i don't know where i saw it or read it or something um 
obviously on say Facebook or Instagram or whatever, but it was um I think it was one of these kind of like life lessons where um the sadness of grief and the devastation that, you know, comes with grief when, you know, it was obviously to do a child loss. Um, it can live side by side with the happiness. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, ha- I have a poem that a friend of mine shared. Um, I must, I must put it up on the page again, um, or share it with you. But it was basically something to do with like darkness and light. Oh yeah, so it's the real, together. Yeah, it's um, the Rumi quote about yeah. lost. Um, anyway, I, I, I don't know what it was, but I have a friend who writes poetry. Um, so whether it was the Rumi quote she put up or whether it was something that she wrote herself, but when I read it, I thought. That's exactly it. It was like she let the darkness in and you sit there with it and then it's able to just leave. But it can come and go as it pleases because, you know, once you've let it in and yeah. you're kind of controlling it and saying, yeah, no, it's grand. You can come in here now, have a cup of tea with me. Yeah. But now you're going to leave. Um, this is the, the wound is the place where the light enters you. That's the really quote that always really sits. Um, the wound will always be there, but the light can get through. Yeah. Obviously, every day you live your life. Yeah. With him, um, and it's you know it is it's evident I think in just your whole persona. And as I said to you before, I was chatting to you like that. You're such an inspiration because you're just so. I can't even find the proper words to it. Um, in that like you know you're 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 put together, but you're just. You're I, you can sense the peace that you have. You can sense yeah. that you know kind of you obviously you've like you've moved forward and you've healed yeah. so much and you're like you know i look at you and say i want to be where she is oh god i can tell you that you know it has been a hard it has been a hard five years mm-hmm. i have you know i've been in counseling bereavement therapy for you know a couple of years i went through complicated grief i i suffered with my mental health very badly um and you know, I was very disconnected and very unhappy. Mm-hmm. But I guess I kept putting one foot forward every time. And I just tried to help myself. So I, I you know, I, I walked, I surrounded myself with my the people who, who, you know, who were supportive and and people who, who tried to understand. And, you know, I, I did things that I liked, that I used to love to do, which was maybe go for breakfast somewhere on a Saturday. Mm. You know, I, 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 I tried to do the things that would make me happy previously. Yeah. Um, and when I needed help, I went, I got help. Mm. Um, and I just kept going. And I can tell you, I definitely did not feel together, very together for a very long time. Um, you know, I suffered with my sleep, my confidence, you name it. Mm. Um, and, you know, so I think sometimes you think on the outside, God, everybody's doing so great. But, you know, we're just doing our best. You know, we really are just doing our best. And I do feel now, though, I, I definitely, you're right, I, I do feel a lot of sense of peace. I feel like we've, you know, we've we've done a lot of hard work. And I remember my sister said something to me recently. Um, and it was the nicest thing somebody has ever said to me. She said to me, you know, your biggest achievement in your life is how you have turned your life around, gone through the worst possible imaginable thing and you've come out after five years, four or five years of awfulness and you're smiling and you're, you know, you're strong and, you know, your your marriage is intact (laughs) and your daughter's happy and so that's your biggest, that's the biggest achievement you've ever had in your life. And I remember thinking, oh my God, you can't, you can't actually imagine 
what that meant to me. Yeah. You know, I, I, I nearly bawled my eyes out when she said it because because life isn't about, you know, the money you made or the achievements, but like to say something from, from someone to acknowledge that to me was just, because when you're at your worst, you feel like such a failure. I don't know if you felt yeah. like that, but you felt, you feel like an absolute, well, life's over. Nothing is ever going to be the same again. I remember Googling <laughs> after Bobby died, after his funeral, like how to get over the death of a yeah. child. Like, I, I just, this has to go away, you know. Like, uh, <laughs> I I just, I have, this has to be fixed. And yeah. of course it wasn't fixed. I had to go through, I thought I, you know, could, could, you know, you know, manage to get through this fast. And of course I fell badly, mm. but, you know, got the right help. But, um, yeah, I just think you just have to keep going, you know, keep yeah. going. Little, think, little, little steps, little steps. Um, little steps every day and believe that it'll I think believing as well that you can get through yeah it's hard I think it's a place as you say believing but also believing that you can get through it but believing that you deserve it yeah you deserve happiness that you know kind of while yes okay we all want to not say we all want to be you know grieving and stuff there's part of me that it's not saying that I want to be sad I I kind of feel like in, in times that, you know, I have to be sad because, you know, well, I can't mother him. So by me being so sad and depressed shows how much I love him. Uh-huh. But, you know, the other side of that is that, you know, you don't have to be sad and no. depressed. No. Because I'm not sad and depressed about my living children. So, you know, I no. don't have to be sad and depressed about him. And I deserve to be happy. And it's okay yeah. for me to smile and laugh. Yeah. Um, you know, and know that okay you can do all of that and yes you are still going to have your days when you're devastated and the pain is as if it was yesterday Um, and i I think the best thing you can do to mother your your child that's not with you is to create the best option b as as um uh that uh uh, cheryl sandberg said it's it's to basically to create the the best possible option b Mm. and even better that and, and even better the part of your life you had before you lost your child that mm. that could have been better i remember my my husband sitting on my bed the day of the funeral the night of the funeral and he said we are going to we're going to live a better life we after this we are going to do things differently we are going to work less we are going to live yeah. better mm. and we have that's one thing we definitely have done we've both changed our careers and we're we're home more we we're home more than you know we'd ever could have imagined so I think it's it's being the best for them. You can mother them in a very very positive way by creating a better life for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And your child, like mm. particularly for Lily, I feel like she's a way better life than she would have if if he had lived in a way. Even though, like, obviously we preferred Bobby to have lived, but we've made changes that probably wouldn't have been brave enough to change. Yeah, you know, if he'd lived, it certainly gives me um, food for thought in that sense. <laughs> Yeah. How <laughs> much yeah. are you charging for this session now? <laughs> I don't know which one of us is getting therapy here. <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 good to laugh and smile again. And you know, obviously next week is the fourth of June, and yeah. um, I always find I know yourself as well. The bank holiday is just so tough, and mm. last year was so tough in lockdown. I actually found it really hard. But this year, um, my sisters and my parents. And my hopefully my sister will come and we'll have a little barbecue in our new garden mm. and we're having an area of our garden done 
where we like have a lovely tree that will and a bench that will signify his corner yeah. and um, we'll celebrate. We'll get a cake like we do every year. We get a cake with his name on it and we'll celebrate his life and we'll celebrate the memory. Mm. Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's nicer this year because we're coming out of a lockdown, so it's a little yeah. bit brighter. You're able to actually do it with family, like or whatever, and have the support around and. It's such a lovely idea having, um, yeah. as you say, like yeah. having the little birthday party and the little gathering um, for him, like, um, and obviously yeah. really getting involved with it as well. And, yeah, and, you know, it's, I mean, it is really the only day of the year that, you, you know, you get to, outside of your own, you know, your own, you know, husband, wife and, yeah. and child, that your wider family get to sit down as a, as a group and we get to actively you know, toast him or talk about him. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I will remember him. And I will. <laughs> I, will I, I, I may raise a glass to him as well. <laughs> just, just, to, just to turn around and say happy birthday to him. Yeah. And raise a glass to him as well. Um, and I'll just say Yeah. Um, thank you so much. No problem. It was really actually very... It was such perfect timing, time of the year for us to sit down and have this conversation, considering um, the time for both of us. Yeah. I would like to thank Emma for allowing me to share Bobby's story here. If you have been affected by anything in this podcast, please reach out and ask for support. I have listed the names of some support organisations in the episode details. Please know you are never alone and we are all here to support each other. I have also set up an Instagram account called Acknowledge Them Podcast. This is a safe place for people to come together and share their stories, their frustrations, their anger, their grief, their sadness, their pain and happiness. In the next episode, I speak with Zoe who is Charlie's mum.